Welcome to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We love hearing and sharing stories about social innovation happening both locally and outside our borders in the Global South. In Season 2, we put the spotlight on the change makers behind some incredibly innovative approaches and solutions who are creating systemic change. And we're also curious to find out what keeps them going. Join us as we discover how these change makers are changing the way we're changing the world. Sanbonani Molweni Huyamora Dumelang, welcome to season two of the Just for a Change podcast with me, your guest host, Luvoyo Maseko. I head up the youth innovation portfolio at the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship, and I'm excited to dive into a topic that lies close to my heart today youth unemployment. I also co-host another podcast by the Bertha Center, the Talking Tech for Good podcast, so make sure you give that a listen. And that's about harnessing the power of technology for a better world. You can listen to it wherever you find your podcasts. With more than 64 million unemployed youth worldwide and 145 million young workers living in poverty, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the global challenge that is youth unemployment. According to New Cities, a global nonprofit committed to shaping a better urban future, youth in the global south are twice as likely to be unemployed or trapped in low-quality jobs, limiting development and social mobility. Though governments and NGOs have responded to this dilemma with a plethora of educational initiatives, skills training and other programs, on the surface it doesn't make sense why we still sit with such a massive number of youth who are not moving forward in life because they are not getting equal access to the right opportunities. But scratch a little deeper and you'll find the key, in our opinion at least, which is the lack of a systems approach in tackling the issues of youth unemployment. What we mean by having a systems approach is taking a holistic view of the structural drivers that shape youth unemployment. Key systems capabilities including collaboration and learning to be comfortable with creating small shifts and nudges that can ultimately drive broader social change. And that's exactly what we'll be talking about today in this episode of the Just for a Change podcast. So thanks for spending your time with us today. We decided to ask a few young people about the challenges they face looking for work and other opportunities. Here's what they had to say. Part of the reasons why young people are not successful with looking for work is the astronomical expenses of traveling. That is the first thing challenges of data having to search search engines for jobs is difficult lacking social capital who to approach where to go who to talk to is the main issue looking for work is expensive it's tiring and it's also mentally draining people fresh out of varsity graduates are expected to have years worth of experience if not that they're put in non-paying internships or trainings they're then expected to have means of transportation to get to work or to even maintain themselves this is not realistic i think in our in an economy like this one without the unnecessary prerequisite of a good solid education it's difficult to try to find a job uh we already see that it's difficult for people with degrees it's difficult for people with masters diplomas you know honors so the basis of a solid good education to increase your chances of employment is obviously a metric certificate hence getting it for me was probably you know uh, an essential step 
in terms of my own long-term ambitions. And hey, life without a metric sucks. It's very difficult. And it's when you know that now you are on your own. There's neither any direction for you. You can't go forward. You can't go backwards. Um, I couldn't go back to school like like you do my matric because the school I was studying in they never uh, had such a rule I couldn't further studies either uh, the real real struggle I couldn't find a job because I don't have matric and uh, the toughest one I can't find a job because I don't have experience and most jobs requires you as an individual to have at least two to three year experience so i believe i would um struggle um because there are too much um requirements and most of the youth doesn't fit the requirements that um are state on the the job opportunity it's really an eye-opener to hear firsthand about the challenges young people face on a day-to-day basis Young South Africans between the ages of 15 and 34 make up nearly 35% of South Africa's total population. This demographic should technically be the engine of the nation's economy, society, and democracy. But as we all know, this really isn't the case. In fact, literally half of this demographic feels frustrated, demotivated, and stuck as they face a burdensome life without work, education, or training opportunities. When faced with a wicked problem, which is an intractable socio-economic or political challenge that does not have any easy solutions, we would only be fooling ourselves by viewing it as a single problem in isolation. We need to look at this issue through a systems thinking lens if we are able to move the needle and create a better future, not only for our youth, but for our nation as a whole. Let's briefly unpack the idea of systems thinking. If this is perhaps your first time tuning into the podcast, Because at the Bertha Centre, this is something that we're really passionate about. Roland Flem puts it in this way in his article, What is Systems Thinking and Why Should I Care? Systems thinking helps us to understand the grand scheme of things and how its parts interact. It helps to determine sensible intervention points to make an impactful change in a system. A systems thinker would not ask, why is the unemployment rate so high? Rather, they may ask, what are the historical, cultural, social, economic, and political elements that shape and inform the patterns and events that play out in the labor market? And what does this mean at the individual, community, and social level? You see, when it comes to youth unemployment, it's not just a case of not enough job opportunities for young people, although that is a part of the problem within the bigger system. Education, transitions that happen between school and further opportunities, Support beyond the classroom, work experience, are also part of this picture. Employers often prefer to employ those with previous work experience and a higher level of education. Unfortunately for the youth, many of whom we work with, a lack of work experience is a stumbling block that results in them finding it hard to secure employment. Youth Capital unpacks all of these major elements in an easily digestible way in their action plan. A plan that prioritizes 10 systemic challenges that need to be addressed to ensure that young South Africans have the skills, opportunities, and support to get their first decent job. Let's take a look at Pila, for example, a young person who shared some of his story with us. My name is Pila Prince Msuto. I was born and bred in Ekailicha. 
on the 11th of May and raised by a single parent who was cut off by her parents after they learned that she was pregnant with me. My mother had to hustle very hard for me and my brother to go to bed every night with something to eat and she always made sure that we had everything we needed and we never felt poverty. Growing up, I love reading and writing. By the time I went to Critch, I already knew how to write my name. I even told them they, that I was there to study, not to sleep, so they should give me a book and a pencil so that I can write down. And my teachers were amazed by this. So, I started primary school in the 2000s. I do like a primary school. So by 2003, I had to change schools as my mother became a sitting helper, only coming home on weekends. So I had to move to Eastern Cape where relatives could take care of me. When I got there, I was supposed to start at grade four as soon as I arrived. But because the school never assessed my abilities properly, I was forced to begin at grade one, which means four years went down the drain, just like that. Later on, I went back to Cape, to Cape Town and jumped between schools, Nyanga and Kailicha, depending on on the location where my mother was working at the, at the moment. With all this disruption of time in school, my love for books and music kept me going. In grade 11, I was part of the UCT Up program that was for top students around Kailicha. They offered me extra help and support throughout my studies. They applied for me and I got accepted for three universities, but I declined them because their fees were so expensive. Then I went to CPUT where I applied and then got accepted for National Diploma in Biotechnology and then did my first year um, under the extended program and then graduated, then did my second qualification um, as BTEC project management, as I was doing my third qualification in MBA. And then I had to pull out because I had school, I was going through a rough patch. Then went to seek for job. Then I couldn't secure a proper job, but I was able to be placed on the basic education employment program where I was busy with administration and learning how to take care of the class, which made me fall in love with teaching as I'll be pursuing that dream next year. And on that note, we're really excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Solange Rosa, the director of the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship, and Crystal Duncan Williams from Youth Capital. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Hi. It's really, really happy to have you guys here in studio. Let's, yay. Solange, my first question is for you. What are your thoughts on tackling youth unemployment with the systems approach? And why is that different and important from our current ways of working? So obviously, as we all know, youth unemployment is a huge problem in our country and it is getting worse and worse. It is also a global challenge um, and a challenge around the rest of Africa. But I think that we have to tackle it with a systems lens in order to be able to identify all of the bits and pieces of the puzzle and be able to identify where are the areas that we can leverage in order to uh, try and address the huge challenge of youth unemployment. So 
not only do you have so many different role players, so for example, you know, government has a role with the employment tax incentive, the ETI, for example, and the private sector working with government around that um, and trying to incentivize the private sector to hire more young people. Also, NGOs have a big role because they do a lot of training and support for young people. Um, the education sector has a huge role to play, especially TVETs and higher education. Then there's the the different skills levies and, um, and the skills trainings that um, are able to also support young people. So there's so many different role players and trying to understand what are the underlying challenges. So our economy is not growing, but how can we still within that context support young people to get some first opportunities um, and get some experience so that they can uh, move through their careers potentially, as well as get other opportunities for um, learning and development. And I think the other piece to mention is that if we just look at youth unemployment without as a kind of upstream factor, without looking at the downstream issues around dropouts and what's happening in the education system, then we're also missing that piece of the puzzle. So trying to bring in and understand what is happening with a high dropout rate at the moment because of the pandemic and the additional, what's it, 750,000 learners that have dropped out and how how much more unlikely it is that those learners will have a, a formal job or get further training um, and skills development. So, um, so you've got to look at the whole picture and and try and support the different kinds of interventions from different um, directions, different role players, and how it all fits together. So, that's really what looking at it from a systems lens perspective is, without trying to sound all fancy. Mm. And, and that, in a nutshell, is why she's our director. Uh, Crystal, oh, I guess one of the bonuses of being a, a, a guest in this segment is I can direct the, the tough questions <laughs> to you. And, uh, and I guess on a more practical level, in, in, in what are some of the practical ways that you've seen a systems approach make a difference within the youth unemployment space? Do you have any stories or examples? Sure. So I think the whole point of Youth Capital's existence is to start thinking about youth unemployment in this systems uh, angle approach. You know, as Solange just said, um, we can't think about youth unemployment as simply creating jobs or getting the economy to grow um, or just educating young people. Young people are on a journey. They're living beings. They face many systemic issues. And unless we look at that with a systems lens and take all those factors into account from healthcare to education um, to basic living conditions and access to transport and data, um, unless we take that lens, we, we really are going to continue to miss the point um, and we're going to continue to see youth unemployment rising. Um, and so I think, um, you know, if we take um, the story of, of Pila, you know, I always think of his story as a great example of how if there was a systems approach in his life, how different things would have been. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at a basic education, if there was a simple tool for tracking learners across provinces, he wouldn't have to have repeated grades when he moved provinces because there would be a national system that told the new school 
where he's um, where he had come from and what grade he was in. You know, if there was uh, a better system for him to access funding, he I, I know for a fact that he really struggled to get funding when he got into the post school space and wasn't NASFAS, it wasn't then what it is now. Um, so there again, if there was access to funding, then to find a job, you know, he's got a master's now and he's still struggling to find work. If there was a way that he could signal his skills to an employer, an employer knew where to find him and he knew where to look, um, then that again would unlock an opportunity and for him to get that first decent job. So if you look at the tra- trajectory of his life and a way a systems approach at every step would have made that trajectory easier, um, I think that's an example very practically of of how of how what that could look like. And and I think if we look at the SAYouth.mobi platform that the government is launching now, they're trying to do that, to try to map these opportunities to make them more visible for young people. And I think it's a step in the right direction to bring together all of the government interventions in one place to try to get that that systems level approach. Um, just giving an overview of what the basic package of support is that we've designed together in a group uh, led by Soldru, South African Labour Development Research Unit nice. at the University of Cape Town, UCT. Um, and they led this process of designing an intervention that had a systems approach in terms of being able to identify what young people need within their particular context, being able to respond to that on an individual basis. So you don't have a blanket approach to a bunch of young people, but rather being able to identify your like Pila, an individual who's in a particular situation and has particular skills or skills gaps or even psychological needs or childcare, parenting needs, and then being able to address that person's needs in a holistic way by linking them to whatever it is that they need. And whether it's government services, like getting a birth certificate for their child, or whether it's through the private sector to get an internship opportunity, or whether it's through NGO to get some psychosocial support. So the connection to young people and then um, being uh, being designed in a way that is very uh, kind of context-based, individual-based, but looking at the whole system around them and how they can be supported and then design an action plan that they then uh, are able to implement with support from these other organizations. So that's an idea that's also been um, supported, I think, by the presidency and is being piloted with support from DGMT, maybe, and others um, in in the very near future and hopefully will eventually be scaled up. Mm. And, and what's coming through really clearly through your answer already is that a systems-wide collaborative approach is needed. And And I think one of the things that, that we mentioned in the intro section is that it's very easy to feel very overwhelmed with dealing with this problem. And for everyone who's listening and sitting about this problem, wondering what to do, the the onus isn't on you yourself to fix it. And and it's about a, a multi-sectorial, multi-stakeholder emphasis in looking to deal with this. And uh, second question or third question, this is back to Crystal again. And uh, what, what in your opinion are some of the small shifts that we can make to ensure that young people get better access to employment opportunities? 
So I think if you, to know to your point of this feeling like an overwhelming problem, and I think to anybody listening out there, it can feel like, well, we're definitely like, this is a government and big business problem. We're talking about currently 9 million young people not in education, employment or training. What could I possibly do? Um, and I always say, you know, if every employed adult took one young person under their wing. And that doesn't mean you have to meet with them for hours every week. It literally can mean WhatsApp chats with them once in a while. You know, that could shift that young person's entire outlook. It's, you have social capital, so you connect them to opportunities. You have work experience, which a lot of them are living in households where nobody's employed, so you connect them to that. I mean, that's a simple thing that, you know, um, that can be done. I know there's Action Coach SA that works out of Durban and they um running a campaign called Each One Employ One. Um, you know, a simple thing around small businesses. If you can take on a young person, give them that opportunity, you can do that. Um, and then I think some of the the small shifts at a more national scale is um, the you know the use of data free platforms like SAYouth.mobi, um, the use of of WhatsApp for for first round interviews or job applications. A WhatsApp bundle is a far more affordable. Um, a thing for a young person in buying data and everybody's on WhatsApp. They don't have to learn how to navigate a new platform. It's something they're using already. So these are some of the, the shifts that, that can be made because if we use access to Wi-Fi and, and apps, that's one way to sync things to kind of get different platforms to speak to each other like the basic package of support and yes and all the presidential initiatives um, and linking that through through technology is I think one one way we could do that. And I mean, what I love so much about what you initially suggested that is someone brings on board or, or works closely with the young person and comes to with the story, it's pillar. And something that we forget is that these are people at the end of the day. It's not just figures on a paper, right? It's easy to read 60 or have a million people unemployed youth around the world or particularly in this context. But when you get a closer understanding of what young people deal with, you yourself can understand you have a part to play, which is something I appreciate in that. And Solange, my next question is for you. How can we get youth organizations on the same page to be more effective at overcoming youth unemployment? Well, I think you should be the one answering this question. Since you are on the Youth Development Collaboration platform as part of the steering committee. But I think that initiatives like the one that you're a part of is one step in that direction. So trying to get youth organizations that are focusing in particular on unemployment, let's say, let's just talk about those, and trying to understand the scale of the problem, the root causes of the problem, and to be able to think about what are the ways in which they can address the problem in ways that are effective. They don't all need to be at scale, but, um, but I think, you know, there are oftentimes when I talk to young people who've just been through skills training after skills training after skills training, and they're just kind of stuck in this getting certificate after certificate um, or adding things to their CV, but they feel quite disheartened because they haven't necessarily got a job opportunity or an opportunity where they can get some work experience. So I think that being able to network with organizations working in this space and coming up with some kind of system framework around how to address the youth unemployment challenges and also coordination in some ways around, and I think this is hard to do though, around what aspects of the unemployment challenge organizations are focusing on. So not everyone will be supporting 
for example, uh, youth technology skills. Um, so there might be organizations that are just focused on that and doing that efficiently and effectively. Um, and then they could coordinate, for example, with organizations that are perhaps placing young people in jobs where digital skills are required. So, so some way in which a kind of network of support, similar to the basic package of support, but at a, a at a level that look, is looking around how do you place um, young people into some skills training and a job opportunity, not just in a perpetual skills training environment, um, because I think that becomes very demotivating after some time. So, yeah, that's what I uh, think needs to happen um, because there are some big-scale projects like the YES program at National. YES stands for Youth Employment Service, and... So that is a, a national program that works with corporates and government. But there's a lot of small organizations in piecemeal efforts. Um, I think Harambee is also known as another big youth uh, employment supporter. But so, so I think it's more those other small organizations that need to be able to plug in and support young people uh, in more effective ways and collaborate. And and I will pick up on that not so subtle hint about the YD collab. <laughs> and I know that if any of the other Steercom members are listening, they will they will they'll be very disappointed in me if I didn't use this opportunity to to to, to share that a little bit more. Uh, so the YD collab. So you can visit the website ydcollab.org.za. You can also visit us on Twitter ydcollab.za. I think I think is the full handle. So the YD Collab is a collaborative network of organizations and individuals working to advance youth development and empowerment in South Africa. We're recently set up and we have sort of three high-level objectives. Number one is building a collective voice for youth development organizations and others in the ecosystem. Number two, mapping the youth development ecosystem. So if you're an organization working with the youth development space, you may see a survey from someone, members from the YD Collab coming up soon. So please answer that. And third is advocating for effective practice in youth development. Crystal, I don't know if there's anything you would like to add to, 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 to that as well. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm very excited to be on the Stericom for YD Collab as well, because at Youth Capital, I think what we figured out early on, um, you know, when we started a few years ago, is just this lack of engagement between stakeholders in the space, not because they don't want to engage with one another, um, but, but but because they're so busy doing the work. So especially as you see the small organizations who are working with young people, running programs, you know, at a municipal level or provincial level, they're so busy doing the work on the ground that there just isn't time for that collaboration. And I think YD Collab is fulfilling a big need and a gap by creating a platform and a space for that engagement. Um, and, I, you know, in my experience, just one conversation between different organizations and already you'll surface a whole bunch of stuff. Um, lessons you can learn from each other, mistakes you can avoid making because somebody else has made them already. Um, and I'm really excited to see where, where YD Collab goes. You guys, you guys really highlight some key, some key points and, and interesting discussion points for the issue of youth unemployment within the South African context. But it's really important to remember that this isn't just a problem we experienced here. One of our current Bertha scholars, Hilary Musarurwa, is currently working in Zimbabwe and is a researcher working at the UKRI Accelerator Hub, where he's looking at how innovation can help accelerate sustainable development goals for adolescents. We asked him to comment on the youth unemployment issue in Zim. I think uh, the issue of uh, unemployment is 
not only restricted to South Africa. The high levels of, of unemployment spell amongst young people in Zimbabwe. They're also there across Southern Africa. Uh, and you also have a high level of uh, young people not in education or in employment across the region. And that is quite uh, worrisome, uh, given the fact that uh, young people also constitute a greater percentage of the population across SADC. I think 62% uh, of, of the population are young people. And and uh, what I've also seen is uh, this, this unemployment is pretty much driven by two sides. There's the supply side and the demand side. And I think on the supply side, if you look at it, there's a lot of skills mismatch where the qualifications or the skills that a number of young people have do not match up with what the job is demanding. As well as the experience, you find a number of job opportunities uh, requesting for someone to have experience and this is not helping at all when you have skills mismatch and uh, there's also the issue of uh, young people not having information on employment opportunities i think this this is pretty much prevalent in areas where there is marginalization where people don't have knowledge about uh, employment agencies or how to go about uh, applying for a job and and that is also now exacerbated by a situation where people in the rural areas have to travel distances to look for decent employment. And on the demand side, there's, there's, it's just a situation where a lot of jobs are not being created. You're not creating employment. And with with COVID-19, uh, I think the pandemic is, has changed the the situation in a number of countries, a number of sectors have had to to shut down or to scale down. When we look at systems change, you're looking at the interrelated local needs when it comes to unemployment. And this is now, you look at the, the system, the drivers of unemployment, poverty is one major one. And with poverty also comes school dropouts. And when you have school dropouts, that means you're going to have a lot of unskilled labor that's available in the market. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a challenge. And also the issue of marginalization would also mean that uh, a number of people do not have access to training or resources. Like uh, I spoke about uh, COVID-19 and moving into digital working. Very few young people have access to technology and the digital skills. So that's that's a driver of, 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 high, of high unemployment. The practical ways of addressing youth unemployment is first of all, to start by acknowledging that it's a problem. In, in, in the work that I've done, I've observed that some countries underreport the issues of employment or unemployment because it has some economic uh, uh, impact uh, it, it also has a picture that it paints about a country. So, for example, I mean, in Zimbabwe, <laughs> when you know, right, the reality on the ground is most young people are not employed, but you have a situation where statistics tell you that uh, the unemployment in Zimbabwe is at 8 to to 15%. Yet you've got more than 
80% of young people roaming the streets looking for a job. So I think on, on the policy side, governments and policymakers have to, to be open and realistic with the statistics and the information they share out there concerning levels of unemployment. Some really interesting insights from Hillary. And, and I guess what stands out immediately is just how similar the context is to ours. And I don't quite know what you guys have to say about that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'll start with you, Solange. Sure. So some of my immediate thoughts were exactly as you say, that there is so much similarity in terms of what are the drivers of youth unemployment and the challenges. And as I said at the beginning, it is not just a South African phenomena. It's not just a Zimbabwean phenomena. It is an African and global phenomena. We've got a lot of young people, and they call it the youth bulge, a lot of young people who are not necessarily in employment and training or education, and then that becomes a problem also for the future because those people are then supposed to be the working population of the country, of the economy. And if they're not participating, then your economy is going to struggle. So I think one of the points I wanted to add to what he said is that not only do you have a low skills base, if you've got a high level of dropouts from education, you also don't have the higher level of skills that the economy needs as it is evolving. So we have we have a, a situation in the global economy as well as in the national economy that higher levels of skills are required. Jobs require more technical expertise. So you don't have as many low-skilled jobs. And so you your population has to get more and more and more educated. And in our case, it's getting less and less. So what ends up happening is young people – and their families and are, they are then stuck in intergenerational poverty. So you just go around and around in circles and your kids struggle with the same thing. They drop out. And so it's an ongoing challenge. And then it's not feeding into an economy that is growing and is competitive um, more internationally because it doesn't have the right level of skills. So, so that's that's a big challenge and why, I, as you know, I'm so passionate about the school dropout issue because I think it is the biggest challenge. Um, the Human Development Index has three components to it. The Human Development Index is an international index which talks about development of countries and there are three components to it. One is uh, income levels. The second one is mortality, the, um, the age at which people die in your country on average. And the third is the average number of years of schooling. And so the higher the number of years of schooling, the higher your uh, growth as a country, the higher your development aspects as a country are. So it is one of the three critical features in terms of development. And so that's why I think it is so important to not just keep our young people in school repeating grades, but actually being able to progress. So that's what I wanted to add to what Hillary said, which is really based on my core passion. 
and and Crystal, maybe before I, I hand over to you, and and perhaps any either of you can answer this. And Solange touched on it a little bit in the answer, and it's coming through rather clearly on, from my end. Is that there seems to be an issue with with I mean the, the the problems that are being experienced, as Solange rightly put, aren't only unique to our context. So there's something to be said, of perhaps, about the global structure we find ourselves a part of. And perhaps I know this is one of those big questions, and I guess, like I said earlier, that's why it's nice to be a host. I can hand it over to you. Is 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 on what 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 sort of changes do you think need to happen within the way we've structured our economies and our society so that we can be able to respond to this a little bit better? Yeah, so I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, just more and more in the last few weeks, been having these conversations around the global south, you know, chatting to somebody from Brazil even and wanted to understand the work that Youth Capital does. And what came up repeatedly is this person just said, oh, it sounds like Brazil. Oh, it sounds like Brazil. Listening to Hillary, I'm like, well, that sounds like South Africa. Mm. Um, you know, talking to somebody else about the Nigerian context today. Oh, that sounds like South Africa. And so exactly as you're saying, it's a global problem. And I think we have very, at least in South Africa, we understand the schooling system a lot better than in any of the other places. I feel like the schooling system is very conservative still. You know, it's very traditional um, and it's not really equipping young people with the skills they need for this ever-changing economy. Um, you know, we speak about digital skills, but it goes beyond that. There's issues of literacy and communication and adaptability and flexibility. Um, you know, if I look at myself, when I was in high school, the, the health economics wasn't even a subject you could do in the in the public health school that I ended up studying. So, you know, and things are rapidly evolving now more so than, you know, when I was in high school. So I think we're not preparing young people in a basic education system for the world that exists today. We're still preparing them as though we're in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And I think that's a huge problem. And I think it's probably across all of these contexts. Mm. We're all nodding rather vigorously <laughs> here in, in, in the studio as well. And and um, my next two questions are, are to you, and it's a little bit more about your work at Youth Capital and and the action plan you guys you guys are, are putting forward over the next few years. So why why don't you give us a quick overview of that of that ten point action plan? Sure. So um, you know, Youth Capital came into existence to fulfil two two points really. One that young people's voices were missing from the conversations of youth unemployment, and that all the solutions were quite top down. Um, and two that there wasn't a collective and shared agenda for the space. So exactly as we've been speaking about systems thinking, um, it's nice to have a, a goal for a project to create X amount of opportunities or X amount of graduates in next degree but you know it's an it's another thing to look at the the journey as i say in its entirety and so youth capital spent 2018 and 2019 speaking to young people um you know i personally did a lot of desktop literature review and analysis of data sets to understand the full journey of the young person and what those systemic challenges are and through all of that we've come up with a 10-point action plan that that we believe is an action plan for the sector it's not youth capital's plan it's the action plan that young people believe in and we've had a host of organizations already endorsing the plan um, and we'll be launching um, our second publication um, Shift 2021 in October um, and we'll be bringing on board all of the, the those have, that have signed on to the plan so far um, and broadly speaking the plan covers three areas of education transitions and jobs um, so in education we want all who start to finish regardless of whether it's basic education or post-school education in the transitions piece you know how are young people supported in that time between leaving a place of learning and finding a sustainable livelihood um, and the basic package of support fits in perfectly with our transitions piece 
And then looking at jobs, um, you know, the economy is what it is and it's going to take a while for that to change. But how do we leverage existing opportunities in the economy? Solange mentioned the employment tax incentive at the beginning. We know that big corporates are accessing that through programs like the Yes Initiative. But what about small to medium enterprises? They they struggle because of the red tape and the cumbersome processes to access that kind of government incentive. Um, we really don't value informal um, work experience from young people, volunteer experience. Um, and young people see that so they don't put it on their CV and it's this perpetual cycle. Young people, if you speak to a young unemployed person, they're not sitting at home doing nothing. But if you look at their CV, that's what you think they were doing. So, you know, under jobs, it's making existing opportunities matter, public works opportunities, um, you know, things like the uh, expanded public works program. How do we make those things work for young people? And and where can people find a little bit more information about your about your plan? Front and center on the website, youthcapital.co.za. Um, the full action plan is there. Great. And and before before we close out, Solange, I, w- I wonder if you have anything to comment on around around the points that Crystal just raised. Just to say that the Bertha Center fully supports and endorses your action plan, and that we hope to continue to work together on these important issues. As an old person myself, it's great to have the two of you who are young people to lead the charge on these issues. Not so young, but thank you. <laughs> on the cusp. <laughs> on the cusp. <laughs> and, and that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for our guests, uh, those both in the studio, uh, Solange and, and Crystal, and Mr. Hilary Musarurwa, who joined us via WhatsApp. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation, and we're really excited to take the conversation forward. We do have an op-ed coming out soon. That's Crystal and I, so please keep an eye out for that. And uh, follow the YD Collab. For this episode... We focus the discussion on the small shifts that drive change, as well as having a systems approach to tackling youth unemployment. We asked some youth development organizations to tell us about the work they're doing with young people and what shifts they've noticed. Let's hear what they had to say. My name is Nkoniza Sheikatifu. I am one of the leaders in the Zarawi Trust, the consortium of five different initiatives. And at the core, they complement each other and they interdepend on each other to improve socioeconomic conditions of those living in what we call peripheralized or marginalized communities. We have a think tank, which is one of these initiatives, a shared value rural enterprise, a youth network for sustainability and agricultural leadership in Africa, a voluntary agriculture cultural network which is inspired by the model of Doctors Without Borders. Above all, we have a humanitarian initiative where we believe philanthropy should also start or be strengthened from within our own borders as a country. So all these respond to a lot of different issues, but at the heart of it all, they serve a functional value of responding to unemployment in unique and different ways. I think there's a very strong emphasis on collaboration. Youth organizations are realizing that it doesn't serve anyone, and especially not young people, to work in silos. We all do our research individually. We all run our programs individually. Um, But there is so much more impact when we collaborate. um, For collaborate to do the work and carry out programs, but I think also collaboration in terms of learning from each other, sharing best practice, as well as sharing our findings and sharing insights and data from the work that we're doing so that when we design programs in the future, we do so with a better understanding of what it is the young people of this country really need and what are some of the interventions that they respond to the best. 
So what we have been doing with the young people that we work with at all of us since 2019 is try and connect them with the local opportunities and with the local businesses that employ people because although we realize that unemployment is a nationwide issue but we think uh, one of the ways that it can be dealt with effectively is to start small within the local areas where most of the organizations and businesses function so what we do in our area is speak and try and partner with a few businesses within the area that we see have the potential of employing a lot of young people and then we we'll let them know what we do and that we have a skills development program for the young people to get them ready for work so then when these organizations look for workers all types of workers be it uh, someone who will clean or someone who will uh, sit at the office they will let us know that we have this vacancy and then we we will give them profiles of the young people that we have and what they've achieved uh, their certificates if they have any and then the businesses will call them and then they will have interviews and see if that becomes uh, successful if there's one thing we hope you take away from today's episode it's that we can't view youth unemployment as a linear problem with a simple solution the issue is more complex and involves multiple factors Hence, we need to look at it through a systems thinking lens. We need to be proactive in seeking to make small shifts so that over time, we'll see the change in the form of our nation's youth getting the support they need. This will result in them feeling empowered, able to put their skills and expertise into practice and allowing them to become thriving, active contributors to our society and the economy. Thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're curious about what innovation is happening in Africa and the Global South, and who the movers and shakers behind these initiatives are, then make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes.